My name is Lauren, and like Dr. Fred said, that's my husband. And we've been married going on 16 years in March. So it's been a long time. It's been a good 16 years. Dr. Fred was our counselor, marriage counselor. Trust me, he's got the goods, and he can make it make it so that you can make it, right? He can help you a lot. Um, I'm just going to share briefly. He's going to share most of everything. But I, um, Dr. Fred wanted us both to share, and I was asking the Lord, what what do you want me to share? Um, I was called at a young age to be a pastor's wife. I just, it was just instinct in me. I just knew. And I compromised that several times with relationships that I got in. And there were pieces of each of those guys that were like, I could see them potentially being a leader, potentially being a pastor. I could see qualities in them that I liked, but they weren't whole. It wasn't like a whole person having all of those qualities. And so I wanted to encourage you, whether you're female or you're male in this room, that you don't want to compromise. You want to wait for the person that God has for you. Because if you don't wait and you you marry someone that is not going to be a pastor or not going to be a pastor's wife, then it will cause major conflict in your relationship. Um, we as someone, people that all of you are called to the ministry, I believe that's why you're here. Um, we are all set apart. And we're not just set apart as an ordinary person. We're set apart because God sees something in us that he wants to use to minister to other people. And so that's not an ordinary call. That is, that is a set apart call. So don't settle and I want to encourage you, if you have messed up, if you're messing up right now, it is not too late to end that relationship or to end that commitment that you've made or to, unless you're married, clearly, we don't want to do that. We will work through that. And that's why you have counselors, right? Do not get a divorce um, unless he's abusing you, of course, or vice versa. But even then, go to counseling. Sorry. I have a scripture, Philippians 1, 6. It says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So if you have messed up, if you feel like right now you're compromising your relationship with the Lord because of the relationship that you have, being a minister, being someone that carries on the, the work of the Lord is not an easy task. It is not all beautiful. It's not all those beautiful butterflies you see flying in the air. There are some rough days. In, 20, in 2010, I, it, we walked through an experience that was very difficult. A 14-year-old in our youth ministry got diagnosed with osteosarcoma, which is bone cancer. That rocked my world. It rocked my world because she did not live. As much as we prayed, as much as we fasted as, uh, fasted, as much as we asked the Lord, she did not make it. And I had to walk through a time of a miscarriage in our life and a lot of other things. Our workplace where we ministered was difficult. And so I walked through a, a, a very hard journey of anxiety, a place that I was in. I was in counseling actually at Dr. Fred's place. Wendy Wharton was huge for me. But I tell you that because ministry is not all pretty and it's not all easy. And you have to know you are called. You have to have the call of the Lord because if not, it will take you out. 
I mean, there were moments in my life when all that was happening, I was thinking to myself, God, are you even real? I've been raised in church my whole life. I'm a pastor's wife. I can't go to counseling. Like, you must be crazy. I'm not, like, I can't have that title that she goes to a counselor. She has to go get counseling. Um, you know, we have three children, three beautiful girls, and we've walked through a lot just I'm going to tell you the ugly so that you understand that you have to have the call. And you have to marry someone that has the call because you have to walk it together. We have walked through many things. Like every day we get text messages. Once a week we get text messages. Can you pray for us? Can you, do, can you, can you pray for my dad? Can you pray for, and we are praying but I can tell you that someone that has dealt with anxiety, I have to know when I have to cut off the other people that are not in our congregation. So like if I'm on Facebook, I can't read that post because I can only carry what I can carry. So in a, in a, as a, a wife of a pastor, I have to guard myself always so that I don't take on other people's burdens that I'm not supposed to carry. So I am supposed to carry my flock, right, our flock, our church, but I have to be careful of how much I carry outside of that. Um, and then one more thing I wrote. You know, you, it's not a nine-to-five job being a pastor. It never has been and it never will be. There are times that you do have to say I'm turning off my phone for family night, but I'm telling you if someone passes away, you are called to go to that house. Like you are called to be there for that family, and it and it has it has its um, it's it's hard because sometimes I'm like God, why didn't you just give him like he is a business mind? Why couldn't he just work a nine to five job so he can leave it at home? But then I am reminded of the call that God has on our life, and I'm reminded of the call that I have to be His wife and to lift Him up and to support Him in all of it. So I want to encourage you today to remember the call the Lord has for you. And if you don't feel it yet, ask Him. If you're struggling with, am I called? Am I not called? Don't doubt the call of the Lord. Just say, God, how can I walk in that call? Who am I supposed to marry? I will not settle. I will not settle. Because if I settle, then I lose. But if I don't settle, then we win and we conquer kingdom together. We conquer salvations together and we see the beauty of it all. So I encourage you, each of you individually, as a woman, you stand up as a woman on the stage and you say, I am allowed to hold this microphone. I am called to hold this microphone and I can come beside him and I can do that. I'll tell you what I do really quick because I know he's got a good message too. I, on Sunday mornings, I go up with him and introduce us as the lead pastors. I welcome the people to the church and then I go sit down and I worship Jesus like I love him with all my heart because I do. And then I go up after the, th we do three songs, and at the third song, I do what we call flow time, and I will minister to our congregation. So kind of like what he did when he prayed you out, I kind of do that, and I kind of encourage for like five or six minutes. So I have the mic on a Sunday for eight minutes. So you can choose that that's what I want to do as a wife, or you can choose, I just want to be there like Miss Debbie was for, for Dr. Fred, and you just sit on the sidelines, and you're like, go, Dr. Fred, go, Dr. Fred. So whatever he's called you to do, you walk it out in boldness, and you walk it out with security knowing that the Lord has called you. So you can do it. Love you guys. Thank you, Dr. Fred. Come on, that's wisdom right there, don't y'all think? Oh, it's a quiet crowd in here. Come on, don't y'all think?
Honey, I noticed it was quiet when you said we were married for 15 years. I need to hear more celebration than that. 15 years, come on. I'm telling you, listen, um, you, you truly do, those of you who feel called to ministry, and uh, I assume many of you all uh, do because of the, the decision you made for your collegiate choice. Um, you want to make sure you make some wise decisions, and the wisest decision you can possibly make is to make sure you are marrying someone who at least feels equally yoked. I feel like a lot of people ignore that one. Like, it's in the Bible, but it's more of a suggestion. I could fix him. I could get him saved. She could come along. We could get her to our Bible study, and then maybe. And I feel like people are not realizing that, like, you, you can't be the Lord's principles in word, right? You actually have to trust it. And I have seen people called to ministry um, that I truly feel maybe married someone who was not, and it really stifles the joy and the uh, celebration um, that's behind it. And my wife did share that there are some hard times, but what I love is that she felt called to ministry, I felt called to ministry, and we get to do it together. Come on, that is the joy, is when you get to do it together. And like she said, there are different ways for it to look, but what matters is that we both feel called to ministry because we get to do it together, okay? And so um, I just want to encourage you. She, she is amazing. Um, she continues to absolutely be, uh, I think she needs to write a book on parenting. We have three amazing girls. Um, God knew something about us that I did not know about myself, that I was going to be the dad of girls, and it is something fantastic. Right now we have um, a 12, a 6, and a 4-year-old, and uh, it's amazing. We adopted our second child, and um, just a little background about us. I was, not, I was not raised in an evangelical church. I didn't know the Lord in a very personal way. I was raised in the Catholic church, and what I learned about God was two things. God is evidently, number one, important, and number two, church is boring. I don't want to. We got to go to church again. I know because y'all like are teaching me that like God's important, but I don't want to be there. Like it's snooze fest. And if I fall asleep, my mom's going to pinch me. And she's not one of those who pinches. She's one of those who pinches and twists. It's a whole nother level, y'all. If y'all haven't had that revelation, you wake up real quick. Then I went to Catholic private school in my elementary days, and they thought it was good to have a chapel of sorts, only it's mass. You want to talk about uh, mass boredom. I was in there, and uh, I had a nun for a teacher, and she would whack you if you fell asleep. So y'all know what I learned? I learned real quickly, God's important, church is boring, can't fall asleep or you'll get whacked by the nun or by your mom pinching you. So... Those guys over there play acoustic guitars. They look like they get a get-out-of-jail-free card in church. I'm learning how to, Mom, can I learn how to play the guitar? I learned how to play the guitar in fifth grade so that I could have a get-out-of-jail-free card in church. I know what it's like to hide behind a guitar, acting all spiritual, and it's sometimes the safest place to hide. Ooh, talking to worship leaders sometimes. Come on, worship leaders, don't neglect what you're called to do and think that because I have a gift or a talent, that doesn't mean that I don't put in the personal time. We moved, um, when I was in seventh grade, we moved from uh, uh, New Orleans, Louisiana to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I got uh, put into private school, got a wake-up call to the world, and um, 
uh, at about 16 years old, I started telling my dad, um, uh, or I should say this, at 14 years old, I started playing music in bar rooms because um, I needed some place to fit in. And the first people that helped me fit in were a bunch of musicians. And I said, I play guitar, I play guitar. They said, we got enough guitar players. The whole world's full of guitar players. What we don't have is bass players. I said, I play that. Like, you do? I'll learn. YouTube has not been invented at this time, but I will go home and learn. Someone told me it's the, first, it's the same four strings as a, an acoustic guitar. I went home, cut the two lightest strings off the acoustic guitar. I became a bass player on an acoustic guitar overnight just to fit in. Do you know how many people are eager to fit in? You've done it before, too. If you'll accept me, I'll wear that. If you'll be with me, I'll do that. I'll, I'll dress like that, I, I will become like that, I will use words like that. The whole world is full of people who are like that, and sometimes I wonder if the church can't use that to our advantage more often, that if we would just reach out to people and say, you got a place to belong, come and be and hang. Church didn't get me first, it was, it was the musicians, I became a bass player, we uh, learned that we could make a lot of money by playing in bar rooms. At 14 years old, we had permission from the Louisiana governor that me and my 14-year-old friends could go into bar rooms and play music as long as we stayed on the stage or the bathroom and nowhere else. So we started playing in bar rooms since we were 14. Um, by the age of 18, went to Louisiana State University, LSU Tigers, national champs. Don't judge us on this year's. Don't judge us on this year. Last year, we were all that. Okay, anyway. Went to LSU. We were the number one college in America. <laughs> Feeling pretty good. Number one party college in America. <laughs> that works well for a musician because I played in bar rooms every single night. Started up a new band. We didn't expect to do anything more than just become the kings of Louisiana State University, become the kings of Baton Rouge until all the other colleges started calling. And soon, in a few months, we turned into a regionally touring band from Texas to Georgia. We were playing every major university every single weekend, played in front of as many as 20,000 people. I learned real quickly what fame, uh, the, the chase of fame, the chase of glory, the chase of gold, and the chase of girls looks like. I used to think 100 people was awesome. Now 100 people won't cut it. Now we need 200 people. That won't cut it anymore. It's almost like a drug. It's like a fix. I need more of it. So now all of a sudden, 500 people is not enough. 2,000 people showing up to watch us is not enough. We need more. We've done that. Been there. Done that. 17,000 I played in front of before. And all of a sudden, it was like, when do we get to the next 17,000? A lot of people addict themselves to not just the, the typical drugs of, of uh, alcohol or, 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 or any sort of substance abuse, but sometimes we have holes in our heart that I think I know I'm talking to the, the um, preaching to the choir here, right? There's a hole in a lot of people's hearts. Sometimes there's a hole in ours. Some people are drawn to the ministry because I've got a hole in my own heart, and if I could hold that mic, if I could play that guitar, I can hide my heart. I can hide my hole. I just want to encourage you that God's got a big plan for you, but you've got to let him heal the hole. Because I could real quickly turn it into, oh, well, we used to draw crowds for secular music. Now I draw crowds for God. God would smile upon that. 
My wife and I launched Lift Church in uh, January of uh, last year. Uh, we are a year and about nine months old as a church. On our very first Sunday, had 555 people come out. The most important thing you need to know is that 25 people gave their life to Jesus Christ that morning. Can I get an amen? You got to get to a place where you can start to understand that this is not about me, this is about him. And you know what? A lot of us will wear the mask of it's all for the glory of God, but sometimes when we peel it back, we're wearing another mask that says it's all to cover up what I'm trying to cover up. I need to be healed. I need to be whole. I need to be secure. I love what my wife said. I need to be secure and I need to be whole because the most secure and whole person touches the hearts of other people we know this God works at Lift Church we know he does the heavy lifting make no mistake I'm not the one doing the heavy lifting as the preacher my wife's not the one doing the heavy lifting as the person who does a lot of the ministry there the band is not doing the heavy lifting for the easiest scripture to remember and I believe is John 1 2 3 2 that's John 12 32 says for when I am lifted up I will draw all men unto me the easiest thing that we can do is John 1 2 3 2 lift up Jesus's name but sometimes we get it mixed up and laced into the fact of mix, lifting up my own name, my own agenda, my own need to be needed, my own need to impress you, my own need for you to like me, my own need for everyone's got to like me and you got to love the, what I share and what I offer. And so I know what it's like to be the bass player in the band, the lead guitar player in the band. I, I, I have served in every role of ministry I think there is, except for kids' ministry, which God hooked me up with a wife who's run kids' ministry for over two years. I have been the youth pastor. We have done it together. I have been the uh, youth pastor, the associate pastor, the executive pastor, the worship pastor, and, uh, and sometimes all of those at the very same time. And now the Lord has called us to be lead pastors. And I, I know what it's like to, to, to need to know that I, 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 sometimes you have to share a hard message some, because it's scripture. Sometimes I need to be on an instrument and not impress. You know what I mean? Musicians, you ever been like, they're going to love this lick right here. Watch this when I pull this one out. Going to drop some jaws right here. And then you start realizing... Whose glory am I playing for at the very moment? Because I want you to like me. But I made a commitment when I walked away from that secular touring band that for me, I'm not going back to secular music. It is a commitment that I have personally made that we don't, we, I don't have any secular music in my house. That is a commitment and a conviction I put upon myself because I know the lore that the Satan used to use for me. And I made a commitment that I'm never again going to play for the glory of anyone else other than him. I was on a track where I could have played at another levels and gone to different places. And I, I, I went to LSU to get my business degree because I wanted to go into music business. And it was my junior year of college when I gave my life to the Lord. It was 2002. Some of y'all are doing the math. Don't do that math, nerds. Just stick with me. And in 2002, at 20 years old, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And it was the greatest decision I've ever made, as many of you already know. But I did what I often 
think a lot of people do is, oh, I, I thought I was supposed to be a music agent, so I'll be a slap the word on it. It makes everything like magic, Christian music agent. <laughs> Until I prayed the scariest prayer I've ever prayed about nine months later. I said, God, what do you want to do with my life? And he said, you're going to preach the gospel. And I was like, did you check my LSU scores? I've always done pretty well in school. I've I've, I've mostly had A's. It's just one of the things that came to me well. I had a few B's. Guess what? I had two C's. One was financial accounting. It's from the pit of hell. (laughs) Sorry. We need y'all if you're in that. Anyway. And the other one was speech. My lowest grade in college is speech. This is kind of funny. Maybe I tuned into prayer wrong, God, because clearly the guy sitting next to me who's a, a youth pastor, he's called to preach. And so maybe we just kind of mixed up the frequencies. I was a little clue too close to him. He's dropped on his prayers. Could you uh, rearrange the antennas? What do you want to do with me? He said, you're called to preach. And every day I realized that I do not have the goods to do this yet for God. Every time I step out and grab a microphone, for me, it's Peter stepping outside of the boat just understanding, you called me to this. In fact, you want, you want me to tell you one of the secrets to some of the things that God has used us to do? I believe the secret sauce is this. I get down on my knees before I grab a microphone every single time, and I tell them, this is on you. This was your idea, not mine. Now, I trust you with all my heart. But if this goes bad, it's on you. And if this goes great, it's on you. You get the glory. Now, I might be a little bit biased, but I think it's going well most of the time. And God and, and, and Lift Church, we see that most weeks people are giving their life to Jesus Christ, and that's what he wants to do. God wants a family, and he wants to grow his family, and he wants his lost sons and daughters to come home. Can I get an Amen. And that's why I'm so excited to be speaking to some leaders up in the room because we need more church spiritual leaders. People who grab the mic after being filled with the Holy Spirit and being filled with prayer and they will grab the mic or they will grab the administrative brains or they will grab whatever they are called to do and make an impact in the church. Rock small groups, make big changes, do amazing things. I look at Numbers 14, 24, the book of Numbers 14, verse 24 says this, because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring into him, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Because Caleb has a different spirit. I don't need to tell you the whole story. We know 12 tribes were sent out to see the promised land. Two came back with faith. The rest were scared. The rest were fearful. The rest had a normal spirit. It's normal to get freaked out whenever you're about to do something big. It's normal to be nervous. It's normal to be scared. But two had a different spirit. One was named by God as having a different spirit. And we know that they were the only two. In all All of their generation who saw the promised land, not just that, it says Caleb's descendants. Could I take some liberty here and and say that that is similar to saying Caleb and his followers? Think about this. Don't you want the people that you lead one day to follow you into the promised land? 
Anybody here not want people to follow you into the promised land? Anybody not want to make heaven bigger? You're here because you want to make heaven bigger and hell smaller. It requires a different spirit. You can't do things the way the world does it and expect to, do, to have the promised land results. Descendants are depending on you and I to have a different spirit. And I want to encourage you from that theme of a different spirit. In order to possess a different spirit, we have to develop, write this down, we have to develop the right spirit. Now, my wife is a lover of movies. I am an on-the-go kind of guy. I was the type of guy who, when we got married, I had every block in my schedule filled. Like, okay, I got some downtime. I'll be there, hang out with you, be there, go there, uh, work here, do whatever. My wife likes to keep it low-key, and she has taught me the art of just keeping it low-key, loving on uh, each other, and watching movies. Her favorite movie is Pride and Prejudice, which is she is going to play every single time. It's a cold, snowy day, and someone's not feeling well in the house. It's when I see Pride and Prejudice, I'm like, who's sick? Who's sick? This is like this is this is like chicken noodle soup for the soul for them. Put on Pride and Prejudice, get out the blankets, and just lay low. The house is a haven for just recovering, and I'm just like, who's sick? Because I'm going to be sick if i got to watch this movie one more time. How many of y'all see <laughs> Pride and Prejudice? I, got, I have four female human beings in the house, two dog females in the house. We have a female horse outside the house, a female goat outside the house, and four female chickens outside the house. I am surrounded by females in our house, so Pride and Prejudice goes on whenever they want Pride and Prejudice to go on. If you've not seen it before, there is a scene that I think is comical but it's also tragic when I think about it and I wanted to show you that can can we play that clip make sure we got audio you know this is church others can supply and which we cannot procure for ourselves been to a church like this in view those objects which are only to be obtained through intercourse Forgive me, through the intercourse of friendship <laughs> or civility. On such occasions, the proud man steps forth to meet you not with the cordiality of affection, but with the suspicion of one who reconnoiters an enemy. What's interesting... Thank you. You can go to the next slide if you would. The still image right here. Uh, no, no, no. Go, go to that picture I got for you um, right after the video. This is a screenshot of it. And um, have you ever been to church that looked like this? The world doesn't need any more churches that look like that. Disinterested, doing their time subconsciously getting the message that God is good, but everybody follows God's boring or the church is boring. Yeah. The one on the left is his wife who's just happily like, hey, I'm pastor's wife. And see the guy preaching, no one's paying attention to him because he's not really called to do it. But you know why he's doing it? Because there's pride in the position. And so he's up there and I call this a lose-lose situation. The people are not blessed, and the person who is, is leading the ministry is not blessed as well. It's a lose-lose for everyone, and the world doesn't need any more of it. He is caught up in position, image, pride, and self-focus. And I've been around ministry, and I've been in ministry for over 18 years now, and I have seen these woven into a lot of people who say, God's called me to ministry. Pride, 
self-focus, image, position. And God's not giving the promised land to these. He said, Caleb's got a different spirit. And Caleb's descendants are the one who's going to receive the promised land. And so, you know, I am from Louisiana, and I've seen, uh, I heard this joke. I like to have fun. We like to have fun at church, and we like to laugh a little bit. So if you don't laugh, um, you fake it. Okay. And so anyway, um, uh, we have these Cajun jokes. You don't want to look them up on the Internet because a lot of them no good. But there is one Cajun joke about Boudreaux and Thibodeau. And Boudreaux, Thibodeau, and Landry are hanging out one day. And Landry says to Boudreaux and Thibodeau, he's just three Cajuns hanging out. And he says, he says hey, boys, I got me another shrimp boat. So I now got ten people working under me. Go ahead, give it up for Landry. Thibodeau said, well, that ain't nothing. I got me a promotion over at the oil refinery. I got 50 people working under me now, boys. Boudreaux pipes up and he says, you guys haven't seen nothing yet. I got 300 people under me. Landry said, Boudreaux, don't you cut grass? He said, yeah, but I just got me the church cemetery. got 300 people underneath me now you know people get a little squirrely when it comes to leadership don't they you can get into leadership for the right reasons and then people get a little bit squirrely sometimes or they let power mess with them or influence or they get off task and so I just got some things I wrote down this is from the Bible just leadership getting squirrely Miriam and Aaron Aaron rebelled against Moses in Numbers 12. Korah rebelled against Moses in Numbers 16. Come on, guys. It's only separated by two chapters. Joseph's brothers wished they could be Joseph's brothers, right? Saul wished he could be David. Daniel had his fix of haters. Caiaphas and Herod wished they had what Jesus had. And many leaders are operating out of the same wrong spirits of hurt, wounded, prideful, Self-promoting, numb, offended, insecure, comparing, competitive. But Caleb had a different spirit. You can have a different spirit. God wants to put on each one of you a different spirit, but you've got to seek after God and ask him, why do I want to lead? Why do I want to do ministry? Why do I want to get into it? God, I want your spirit, not mine. Come on. Isaiah 32 is a scripture I've been chewing on, and I'll finish with this. It says, look, a righteous king is coming. Anybody know of a righteous king who has come already? Anybody think they got a good suspicion who that scripture is pointing towards, right? Is this Bible college right? I'm pretty sure it's pointing towards Jesus. But look at the next line. And honest princes will rule under him. If I got my Bible, I have already circled, and I would encourage you, circle or underline or highlight or take a screenshot of that scripture and mark up, honest princes will rule under him. Here's what it says. I think that points to church leaders. It says, each one will be like a shelter from the wind, a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert, and the shadow of a great rock in a parched land. All those things sound great for the people who are following them. I wrote down four things that make for a right-spirited leader. Four things. Number one, they're secure. No longer comparing. Why does she get to sing that song? I thought I did that song better last week. Why does he get to preach? 
If you heard me preach, I'd be much better than that. Why does he get stood up and celebrated? Do you know what my small group's doing? Why do they get picked? You're giving her to children's position? How come I'm not on staff? Do y'all know about that? Oh, all lace throughout ministry is self. It's just looking side by side instead of looking at him. I know I'm not the only one in the room who's dealt with this. Satan loves to come and just skew and try to get you off your assignment and to put you back in a normal spirit and a normal spirit. Look around at the world around you. It's doggy dog comparison. She wore that. I'll wear this. They're doing that. I'll do this. That's not the spirit Caleb had and that's not the spirit God wants us to have. We have to be secure, not comparing. I got a real quick illustration. Put that picture up on the board. There are people in this world that in the next picture, the red, green, blue light for me, please. There are people who are reds in this world. Maybe they're artistic and they got some sort of uh, musical gift, drawing, uh, and things like that. There are people who are greens in the world. Maybe they got this intellectual gift and they could break down teaching and scripture. And you're like, oh my goodness, it's, it's amazing. And you got blues in the world. They can make anybody feel like a million bucks. They don't get anything done. But everybody loves them and they love to be around them. And what happens is when we find out we're a red, we start looking at greens and going, oh yeah, if I was green I'd be doing some stuff too and if I had some blue in me I'd be just fine you know everyone loves the blues but here I am over here red or you're a green and you're like yeah I wish I could do that I'm gonna tell you right now my wife if she could sing would mop up everybody as a worship leader because nobody beats her in passion nobody beats her in passion she is the greatest worship leader in our church And she could spend a lot of time going, why is she singing again? Cutting people who have gifts down to make herself feel better. And she does it. She goes up there and champions what God gave someone else. Maybe you didn't have the gift you thought you wanted to have, yet God knows what he's doing. He created you and knit you in your mother's womb. And I've got to get to the point where my soul knows that very well. Boy, that brother can preach. He preaches better than me. I better not say that on the mic. Might feel inferior. No. I'm going to be that guy who just sits there and goes, come on, bro, preach it down. I, I have trouble staying quiet when someone's preaching. I'm the one going, come on, man. That's a good word, my friend. I do know that there's a principle of sowing and reaping, not stewing. Soiling someone else, you're cutting them down, chopping people's legs off. I don't know why I said soiling. That was an awkward word to use. I have to finish up, but it says this. But here, here's what I wanted to point out. Finish that out for me. Go to the last one. When reds, greens, and blues work together, do you know what color they become? White. Do you know which color Jesus probably is? He is the fullness he is the fullness of all humanity. Red, green, and blue, when they are co connected, they make white, which is a beautiful picture of the pure, spotless Lamb of God. I can't be a red who cuts blues and greens down because I'm not going to show the fullness of Jesus. 
I've got to be a red who's comfortable letting blues and greens be blues and greens, baby. I don't know why they do that, and I wish they'd get more accomplished, but you know what? God is using them, and they're saying the same thing for you too. And when the three come together, guess what? Jesus is on display. Come on. I, I, I hope that sinks in. I have to finish, and so we need to be, number one, secure, number two, submitted, um, number three, a servant, and number four, a shepherd. And I just, I, I have to close, but I, I want to pray over you that you would have a different spirit. One that is secure, one that is comfortable being submitted, one that is comfortable being a servant. You don't wait till you get a position to serve, guys. You serve before you ever get a position. In our church, we don't give positions to people who don't serve. I don't give board positions, I don't give pastor positions, I don't give worship positions, and I don't give any sort of position to people who cannot serve until I get a position. And you don't grow out of serving. It is an intentional choice that I am a servant of Jesus Christ, and this is how I'll reach the world. And finally, a shepherd. You've got to expand your leadership so he can use you. Right now, would you receive a blessing right now as I finish? God, I pray over every single student and faculty member here, every uh, uh, media tech, every, every worship leader, every person under the sound of my voice, I pray in the name of Jesus that your different spirit, your Holy Spirit would fall upon every single person. I know you've already touched them, and I know that they've got the fullness in you, but Father, I also know how Satan tries to get strongholds in our lives, and he tries to have a, a foothold in our lives, and I pray every foothold filled in, the gaps, the footholds filled in with a powerful uh, uh, move of God that right now you would deal with insecurities and you would make us secure and whole, that you would deal with any sort of inward rebellion, that we struggle on the inside with turmoil or, or cutting other people down or competition or comparing. I pray in Jesus' name right now, a healing that we know that you have not forgotten us. In Jesus' name, I feel like someone in here has felt like God has missed me. God passed me up. I got overlooked. Right now, I pray in Jesus' name that there would be a healing over them right now that you know there is a setup coming. Oh, God, you've got a plan for them. You did not miss them. You did not skip over them, Father. You've got an amazing plan. You fearfully and wonderfully made them. You've got a plan. Let that be a word for you, whoever you are. In Jesus' name, that we would have a servant heart, not a position-oriented, look-at-me title position. Father, that we would use any sort of influence or power for the glory of God and none other. And finally, God, that you would make us leaders, that we would shepherd your people. You lead us beside still waters. Father, that you would use us to lead your people beside still waters. It's not about sheep looking at shepherds. It's about your people being healed and whole by you. Help us guard and guide. In Jesus' name, I pray that over everyone. And if you receive it, you can say amen. Thank you all so much for having my wife and I here at Elam. You all have been so hospitable. We wish we could hug on you all and connect with you more. But you know what the situation looks like. She's going to come get me with a long stick if I, if, if I come talk to you too close. So, hey, thanks for having us. Thank you, Dr. Fred and Debbie. These are amazing leaders. We love them so much. So, um, yeah, cool. Ready, break.